When we think about sustainability and sustainable solutions, we often think about products and innovations that are created by sustainability champions. Venture capitalists, also known as VCs, are typically the ones who provide money to sustainability champions like the ones we featured on our podcast to help get their ideas off the ground. Without this financial support, the innovations the world needs would take much longer to become reality. In today's episode, I speak with John Deshotsky, investment partner at Giant Ventures, a VC that invests in purpose-driven companies that focus on making a positive impact on climate change and healthcare. Through their investments, they champion tech founders who are creating a more sustainable, equitable, and resilient planet. As former founders, the team at Giant Ventures knows how hard it is to create something from nothing, but they want to roll their sleeves up to help Giant Founders win. John is also the host of his own podcast channel, Seed Stories, where he has brief conversations with founders who've recently raised a seed round. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining the Sustainability Champions podcast. Great to have you on the show. Daniel, excited to be here. Thanks very much. And the way I like to start these conversations is by going big picture and really getting a kind of the elevator pitch, if you will, for what is Giant VC? Giant Ventures, simply put, backs purpose-driven founders with a huge majority of our investments focused on climate. Um, we're led by a team of former founders and operators. Um, and our goal is really to, you know, Cameron and Tommy who started the firm, did, did an incredible job to really focus on what are the big societal challenges, right? We don't need any more photo sharing apps. We don't need any more productivity tools. We need to solve these big problems. Um, we believe climate change is, is real, but entrepreneurs can solve it. Um, and we believe the problems within healthcare um, are also creating a massive problem in society as well. And so as we look at those challenges, you know, it's not going to be the big companies, the big Fortune 500 companies of today that that fix it. They're kind of like big um, you know, sort of uh, cruise ships, cruise liners. It takes a long time for them to get out of port and move. Um, we look at the speedboats, right? Like who are the, who are the fast moving um, entrepreneurs who can look at new technologies, services, and products that can tackle these major challenges? That's amazing. And so what are some of these? And it's interesting, first of all, to hear that uh, you took societal problems and you you broke it down into environmental and healthcare as the two uh, kind of industries or, or concepts that you're you're focusing on. But um, in terms of environmental, because obviously sustainability champions were, were focused on environmental questions. Um, maybe there's a podcast called Healthcare Champions and they could talk about the <laughs> other side. But um, with the environmental challenges, I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're you're seeing right now that companies are really interested in solving? I mean, there's climate change, there's plastic, there's so many different deforestation. Are you seeing any trends? Yeah, I mean, look, look, the the headline is that this is a new industrial revolution in our mind, right? Like we are decarbonizing the entire um, economy. And anybody who doesn't get excited by that is like, they're just maybe asleep or, you know, a dinosaur, who knows? Um, and if you look at every industry, whether it be mobility, whether it be um, transportation, whether it be uh, materials, Every single thing that you touch, feel, and use, and the way that you work is going to be decarbonized. 
And so we look at um, every single industry and we say, okay, what's the new innovative way to to sort of build to bear, bring 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 a product to market that is a less you know, sort of lower footprint type of, of version of, of of that of what exists today. Um, a couple examples that come to mind. Let's just take uh, one of my favorites. Jose and Nico started a company, and Ali started a company called Water Plan. Water helps corporates and NGOs to predict and plan their water usage. Okay, so if you look at like InBev and Coca Cola and Amazon and Gap, you know they are using a ton of water. Okay, but how do we really map out and predict using artificial intelligence the correct amount of water to be using? Right. So these are the types of examples of companies that we can really get really excited about. Copperfield, another great example of a company that's basically trying to one click uh, electric vehicle charger installation in every home. Meaning right now you go and buy a Tesla, you go and buy a Rivian. There's like this complicated process to figure out how to install your EV charger in your home. Copperfield wants to be the sort of backbone to make that process a lot simpler, enabling tens of millions, hundreds of millions of homes to have an EV car. So like, if you look at all the different areas um, within this sort of current economy, there's massive opportunity. Yeah, and that sounds really cool. And some of these solutions are really, they're quite simple in that, like with water, you're just trying to predict so you and, and understand because it's a very high impact, high leverage um, issue. I mean, water scarcity is becoming a real problem globally and a simple solution like being able to understand just how much a company needs uses and being able to optimize that that has a really big impact and and same thing with uh the ev chargers it's one of those things i mean if if it costs tons of money and a lot of time to figure out how to just plug your car in people aren't going to want to do it it's uh it's just too much of a pain and and if you can solve those issues then it's it's those kind of kind of um, hurdles that if you can cross and pass through, uh, it unlocks a bunch of it unlocks the next step of of the journey and the evolution. You're totally right. I mean, I think the other thing that's cool is in our vantage point, we are literally like our inbox, our email inbox every day is like a science fair. Like, I I remember as a kid growing up in Palo Alto, California, and lucky enough to like be in the sort of breeding ground of, of Silicon Valley. Um, I forget if it was GM or Ford brought by, and this was in, this was in the late nineties. They brought by, I'm aging myself. Uh, they brought by this like car vision of the future. And it was actually like a battery powered car. And they were like, there'll be a computer on the dashboard. And, you know, here we were in our auto shop rebuilding, you know, Chevy Chevelles and like Malibu's and stuff like that. And we are like, no way. Like, there's no way there's going to be an electric car with a computer. And like, obviously kids in Silicon Valley were like, yeah, but maybe, who knows? Um, and and we, we've sort of gotten to that point. You know what I mean? And and it's it's really fun to see. And obviously GM and Cruise now have battery powered driverless cars on the city, city of San Francisco, which is like revolutionary. And so I think that um, over a short period of time, Humans can be quite pessimistic about progress, but if you sort of take a step back, it's really incredible to see the things that we that we can create. I mean, Peter Thiel famously said, 
we we asked for flying cars and all we got was 140 characters and he said that in jest meaning that progress in silicon valley only got us twitter but in reality if you look across the landscape of aviation with heart aerospace with joby innovation or aviation there's now electric propulsion in in aircraft uh, we backed a company that's really excited about called Otis Aviation, which is bringing short haul flights into a hybrid electric um, airframe and aircraft, um, you know, within the next decade. And what that means is a large majority of air travel, which is regional, will be nearly completely decarbonized. Um, and so, so there's, you know, like you start to rack your brain, like why the future won't look like the Jetsons. And it's hard to like, it's hard to think that it won't. Um, and that that's where, where you can tell I get pretty excited about. Yeah. I mean, I, the, I never actually thought of a hybrid plane. That's a, uh, that makes a lot of sense. If there's a way, especially if it's like a propeller, if like a really small plane, no reason to have to rely solely on fuel for that. Um, I, I guess the biggest challenge just thinking out loud is, the the weight of a battery pack but batteries are becoming smaller and um yeah they're, they're constantly improving yeah so again i think that's where the regional airline is the right actual exactly um, size and uh and and perfect category to actually to tackle mm -hmm. because you can use biofuel uh jet fuel um, which is obviously significantly lower um, carbon footprint for certain high propulsion areas. And James, James is going to kill me for my my lackluster description here, but <laughs> shout out to James, who's you know uh, a genius. Uh, but 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 in short, you know, there's there's periods of time when when it makes sense to be using um, biofuels and makes sense. And then obviously once you reach you know, sort of flying altitude, you know, you can, you can rely on a battery for, for significant distance mm -hmm. and a, you know, a patent, uh, patented airfoil system, which, which is, which is pretty incredible. So, you know, those are the areas, like, again, you look at just sort of the entire economy, whether it comes to travel or housing or mobility, um, you know, the areas that, 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 that are investable and, Giant gets involved very early. Like we oftentimes are investing when there is, um, you know, early version of the product. It's a little rough around the edges, a little bit of traction, but it's not perfect. It's a concept. It's a team and a dream. Um, and, you know, we're incredibly selective in the types and caliber of, of companies that we try to back. Um, reason being that these are exceptionally difficult challenges. Um, that 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 are that they're taking on, and it just requires a level of grit, tenacity, you know, sort of intellectual curiosity, um, EQ, storytelling, that full package. That's very very hard to come by. But when they do, you know, incredible things are created, right? You know, obviously, the famous story being being Tesla and Elon, and and what that's done. But but even more, there's you know there's there, there's so many other examples that um, are really encouraging nowadays. On the point of how you invest and just going deeper into into what you just said in terms of what you look for in, in a company, and I guess um, 
there's this term impact investing, and you mentioned purpose driven, and I think these are these are wonderful phrases that uh, are are being used quite a lot to to talk about. Um, it's not it doesn't it doesn't just sit within the environmental framework, as you were saying. You know, you're, you're also interested in healthcare, um, but when you speak to or look at your science fair inbox, uh, you know, and you're, and you're trying to find a good company to invest in that is providing actual impact that is purpose-driven, you know, is there, what are some things that you're specifically looking for perhaps beyond kind of some of the, th the things that you mentioned just now? So obviously environmental, um, social and, and governance are three separate and distinct very important things for companies to, to, to tackle. And also in some cases kind of convoluted that those three are sort of combined for a rating. I think they're all sort of distinctly important and almost never do they, are they mutually, you know, mutually exclusive. But in any event, that is a framework that is what I would call the stick uh, in this characteristic analogy uh, for, for sort of adherence to certain frameworks of, of, political pressure in many ways hmm. um impact is a framework that's been around for a long time in many cases for investors to make what are called concessionary investments and that means a project or a company that wouldn't otherwise be funded because the returns are below market were it not for this investor to come along and take sub market returns okay um and it's not to say that that's not important, but it's still um, understated how large the true impact of those can typically be. Um, and then finally, what we call climate investing or climate tech investing. Now, this has gone through a bunch of fits and starts, but in recent years has grown to be about $100 billion in the last two markets combined. So obviously, really incredible. Um, you know, famously, a storied investor by the name of John Doerr from Kleiner Perkins really created the first wave of climate tech venture capital investing in the 2000s. Um, and it had a rough patch, right? And actually almost, you know, sort of uh, buried the reputation of that storied Silicon Valley franchise. But uh, KP, uh, under the tutelage of Mahmoud Hamid, like ended up being fine. Um, and the second wave is a lot more what I would call pragmatic. And it is it is broad reaching. It is, as I said, a new industrial revolution. It comes with traditional venture capital approach, meaning there is still an expectation that there will be an outsized return and a large outcome for this company. And it's not just going to be a, um, it's not going to remain as a science fair project for four years <laughs> in a laboratory. Like there really needs to be commercial go-to-market, true milestones. And this, you know, sort of early funding is not going to be large windfalls of capital to then go off in oblivion and produce projects. It's going to happen with seed funding, early stage funding from investors like us. It's going to have real market validation, customer validation, whether it be that consumers or businesses. Um, and then follow-on investment from mainstream traditional venture capital investors, and then growth phase and pre-IPO, meaning that it's really scaling nationally or globally um, in, in many ways, shape or form. And that 
mirrors and reflects exactly what happens in a traditional venture capital market. And every company that you know and love today, for the most part, whether it be Apple, Amazon, you know, uh, Microsoft, I don't know if you like Facebook anymore, <laughs> but you might like WhatsApp or Instagram. Um, those were all invested in by venture capitalists to, to, to kick them off. So that's really, really cool is that you're seeing the marrying of the breakthrough in these new technologies, the breakthrough in new materials and, um, and, and, and approaches to decarbonization uh, with that old, you know, sort of uh, method, methodology of funding. As you're actually looking at these different opportunities that are, are coming to you, um, how can you actually tell? So greenwashing is a big term right now. Uh, and a lot of people are getting concerned about greenwashing and whether or not companies are actually taking true action that are making an, like a real impact or if they're just trying to cover it up and doing it for marketing purposes. So how can you as an investor tell whether or not greenwashing is actually happening and you know what's your approach to is, is there a filtering system that you have to make sure that companies that you support or or invest in rather are actually making a, a real impact sure so one of the first things we do is when we look at a company we put together a memo uh whether we're investing or not and um the framework for our investing approach obviously comes with all sorts of criteria on what's going to make a good company. I think you asked this question earlier and I didn't really truly answer it, but it's everything from that founding team, the quality of the product and service, sort of the size of the market. Um, and, and, and critically is the impact thesis. Like we need to truly be able to understand that impact thesis within the UN SDGs to a point where um, it's credible and that North Star KPI the key performance indicator, the, the thing that they deliver um, either has some meaningful sustainability, climate, um, social, you know, sort of health, health, inclusive capitalism, the areas we focus on um, it has, has, has a significant impact. However, it's non-concessionary, meaning that their North Star widget, whatever it is, their North Star KPI doesn't um, come at the, at the detriment of uh, commercialization or the detriment of their product reaching uh, product market fit, uh, meaning they can't sell, you know, a dollar for 90 cents, right? Like it's just not, that's not going to work in, in the way that we sort of promise to our limited partners and our the investors in our fund. And so oftentimes there are certification processes for everything that our companies do, whether that be water mitigation, carbon sequestration, you know, access to healthcare, you know, CO2 abated, <clears throat> all of those um, areas with that we focus on have extremely um, validated and well-honed certification processes at scale. But a lot of the companies that we work with can't afford to do that, right? Like, because they're very young and and, and so what we do when we write our memo is we talk about the impact thesis, we talk about the North Star KPI and metric or impact, and then we help them to tune that over time as they're building their company. And we always indicate if they decide to pivot 
and, and do something completely different, like a photo sharing app or a productivity tool, we will try to divest our, or sell our shares in many cases, right? Or we will steer them back to a, a way of building their company that is in line with the sort of original vision of what they thought. Um, and so what that means is by the time they've reached scale and they are actually going through a proper certification process, um, then they will have very clear you know, sort of impact that is not greenwashing and it will it will be fully validated by a third party. That's one of your filters, right? Is basically understanding um, whether, whether or not the impact is real or um, it, would you consider that a filter? Yeah, I mean, look, the honest truth is, 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 is the individual's personal story is very much tied to delivering this product or service. We often think about founder market fit. You know, I just, I just uh, like Nico, the co-founder of Water Plan, is like the foremost water, you know, prediction and mitigation expert and has been in love with sort of water science since as long as he's been able to you know, stand on two legs, <laughs> you know? It's, so like you can tell really quickly and this is the same application you would take. This is the same approach you would take with any founder. It's like, why do you have, why do you care so much to solve this problem? Is what about your personal story and what about your work history? And what about the, you, what you've dedicated your life to your work life's work is so important that you're going to start a company, arguably one of the hardest things you can do and, and most difficult and challenging things you can do with your time um, and, and, and extremely high rates of failure. Um, why do you feel so compelled to want to do that for this specific type of you know, effort, whatever it is, the decarbonization, water mitigation, electrification, all those kinds of things. And it's very clear whether somebody, it's super easy to tell. And it's not just like, you know, maybe it's not the first meeting, but then you start to ask more detailed questions and you start to do some diligence. You start to ask for references. You start to talk to customers. You start to get a very holistic three-dimensional picture as to like how truly dedicated this, this team is to this, this mission and vision. Hmm. And we won't make an invest. We just won't make an investment if, if that's not there. It's not even remotely close. That makes sense. Yeah, and um, I guess what I'm hearing is that the it's almost like the internal align the internal the founder's internal compass has to align with what you're seeing externally, and uh, that it's almost like it has to be part of the the DNA of the company. And you can fake it for a while, but eventually. It, you know, if you keep going and going and going, then the real, uh, I suppose, um, the real side of it comes out and you'll, you'll find out soon enough whether or not they're actually being true and honest about the impact that they're looking to make, or if it's just, you know, trying to make a quick buck and, and, and go. And, and I think that, I think that you nailed it, you know, like this recent change in the market, right. With increasing interest rates and, you know, a little bit of sort of you know, sort of a quasi recession that that's occurred and, you know, uh, obviously war and, and an energy crisis and all, all of these sort of macro issues that, that have occurred has created a significant amount of health 
in the um, in the startup ecosystem. Meaning, mm-hmm. when money was free and frothy and floating around, starting a company was almost a it was like a, another check mark on the resume of of people looking for sort of that next like life milestone and it was difficult in the speedy go 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 times of 20 you know 18 to 2022 to tell wait 2021 really when it all ended um to tell because your timelines were very shortened so you would meet a founder and you would have to make a decision within a couple you know days and sometimes hours about whether you were going to invest in them or not hmm. and you know somebody's resume could be great their background could be great and the, the thesis of their company could be great but you really wouldn't have been able to test truly um, about whether or not they were <clears throat> truly dedicated to the work um, we got lucky because we often passed on on a lot of those super hot deals that ended up going nowhere um, and stayed very disciplined but now that's sort of the reality has come back to the market and everything is repriced and the public markets went down, you know, in, in some in technology stocks by like 70, 80% in some of the best names, which then has filtered down to the early stages. All of a sudden people who are in these cushy jobs are like, damn, that looks hard again. <laughs> like, it's not like you can just kind of slap a deck together again and start a company. Um, and, and that's good because that's actually true. Right, like that's actually the reality of it. Is it is, is very very hard, um, and and all the founders, all the all the sort of investors at Giant have, have started companies before, and so we, we feel very strongly that we can empathize with founders in that way. Um, and so, you know, the the time and care that we can take to get a founder to know to know a founder up front and understand truly why it is that they're dedicating their life's work to you know um something related to solving issues within the within climate um that just gets us more and more excited to to eventually write that check and come in and partner with them and open up our rolodex help them with press you know help them to get their next round of funding all all the sort of services that we really love and enjoy Was there a specific moment when you realized this was the work that you wanted to do and, you know, become a VC and actually help companies get up and running in this way? Um, actually quite, quite the opposite. It was funny. I grew up growing up in Palo Alto. The first VC I met was a dad's friend who would show up to little league games in his Ferrari in the like parking lot and not watch his son play and scream on his self, like this giant brick cell phone. <laughs> I was like, that looks awful. I don't want to be that guy. Um, but I think what actually encouraged me that there was a different path was Y Combinator. Um, and so I got introduced to Y Combinator because one of my good friends from high school was a guy named Trip Adler. And he started a company that was in the second batch of YC called Scribd. And mm. um, he introduced me to all the YC uh, people in the early days. And got to meet a bunch of, you know, people my age that were building companies and they were all backed by YC. And when people would talk about Paul Graham, Paul had built a company via web and sold it to Yahoo and then basically wanted to like 
coach founders on how to beat VCs in the, in the fundraising game and basically level the playing field. And if you look at the results, it's actually, they, they've changed the total game in, in, in venture. And so I was like, oh, wow, there's like a different, there's a different approach. Now, along the way, I also met a lot different, you know, investors than, than the guy in the parking lot in the Ferrari, you know, there's like a lot of very wonderful people. And then when I built my own company, I had the opportunity to work with, you know, people like Eric Wiesen from Open Capital and Dan Kimmerling from Decians. And then I met Cameron McLean, who started Giant Ventures, and he wrote me an angel check to participate in my last company. And, you know, startup investors are like a bell curve, right? There's like the really helpful ones that are like 5%. And then there's the big middle who do nothing. And then there's a small percentage that can materially mess up your company. <laughs> And Cameron was very much on that side. And on the 5% um, side that helped. Yeah. And he actually helped, asked me to be like a part-time, you know, venture partner while I was building my company. And when he was building Giant and him and Tommy Stadlin, who's co-founded Giant, you know, they were, I, I really believed in their thesis of backing purpose-driven founders in these, in these areas. And so it was like really fun to do that and help them along the way to find and meet new entrepreneurs and coach them. And so eventually once my company exited and, you know, there was an opportunity to continue to do more work at giant, I jumped at the opportunity and it's been, it's, it's exceeded my expectations. Uh, it's, it's more fun than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, it's more work than I ever thought it was going to be. And those challenges still remain the same of like what we need to do to help founders and how we need to get out of the way to, to, you know, where a lot of investors mess up who maybe haven't started companies before and very much with climate tech founders, because these are big incumbent industries, highly regulated industries. The narrative is highly technical. So how do we create that in a digestible way? So employees and investors and news media can actually understand what the hell your product and service is. Um, these are things that we didn't know when we were founders, but have learned along the way and in investing in, you know, dozens and dozens of companies at giant and then hundreds and hundreds of companies in our previous careers and angel portfolios. Yeah. So, so essentially it's a, it's been a journey of, um, you know, disdain at first and then finding a new, you know, new and novel approach. And then eventually stumbling upon the the industry myself. Yeah, it's a great story and a and a and a great way to get into it and actually um, be part of it in a way that that aligns with your values and and what you've been looking for. Uh, what would you say is is next for for Giant Ventures? Giant wants to deploy over a billion dollars in the next decade into purpose driven founders. These are really large societal problems, and we believe that the you know, largest market cap companies of the next decade or two are going to be giants and they're going to require the capital to get started to solve, you know, uh, climate materials, you know, water, all of these major challenges. And that new economy is really, really exciting to be a part of. So, you know, we're continuing to, 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 to raise our funds. We're continuing to find great, Companies, if you're a founder who's working in any of the areas that I mentioned, 
john j-o-n at giant.vc i look at cold emails i look at warm emails i look at carrier pigeon notes whatever any way you want to get into contact with me tweets dms linkedin snapchat whatever you want um we're you know we're open and ready to do business and i also offer to any founder even if i don't invest my door is always open if you're dealing with a challenge as a climate tech founder whether that be trying to sort of get your first capital in the door, whether it be get, get your first customer, anything I can do to help. Um, you know, so many people paid it forward to me and that sort of ethos of Silicon Valley, a lot of what made it work and makes it work. And even though it's kind of now in the cloud uh, is that, you know, sort of people do help each other out. And I think, especially in this industry and in sustainability and climate, we need to be as supportive as possible. So I'm more than happy to, to, to have the door open. That's very generous. And you mentioned your email, John, uh, John at giant.vc. And uh, for anyone who's more interested in, in getting just a general idea of what Giant Ventures does and and wants to get a feel for for your, your investment thesis and see if it's a, a good fit uh, for them, if they're a founder or just out of curiosity, where's the best place to go to check all of that information out? Website is giant.vc. Two things I want people to check out is Impact 2020 at the top. And that's our vision for what impact will look like today and on a go forward basis. Um, and then also our manifesto. Manifesto tells you all about, um, you know, the, the, the areas that we care about. Um, and, and then finally, you know, take a look at some of the faces. Uh, we have built a really incredible advisory board. You know, people like John Brown, who was the first CEO of a petroleum company to admit that humans cause climate change, um, you know, and, and now started one of the largest climate investing funds beyond net zero with General Atlantic, and he sits on our advisory board. Uh, David Milben, um, who is the uh, former UK board secretary and one, you know, just a real sustainability advocate. So these types of folks are in our court and we're ready, willing, and able to help founders however we can. That's amazing. Well, John, thank you so much for your time and for going through this with me. I think uh, I haven't specifically mentioned it, but you know, the work that you're doing is crucial for um, solving these environmental challenges that, that we're seeing uh, around the world, whether, whether it's climate related or, or, or waste uh, or deforestation there, or there's just so many different challenges that we, have um, that are human created. And I think it takes money to solve those problems by finding innovative solutions and funding those innovative solutions. So thank you for, for the work that you're doing to enable that and, and, and to push it, push it along and push it forward. Daniel, thanks. Thanks for the kind words. I had fun today. This was good. You from one podcaster to another, I would <laughs> highly recommend this to a friend. And thank you. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for the time.